Our scripture reading this evening is from Romans 3 and Romans 5. Romans 3, verses 23 through 28. Hear the word of God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And then Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than Being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. If we understand these words properly, dear church family, we would rejoice with joy unspeakable if you're a true believer. May God bless the reading of his word. Dear church family, the doctrine that is set before us tonight in Lord's Day 23 of the Heidelberg Catechism is the most important doctrine in the Christian faith to understand if we're going to understand the gospel. And there is nowhere in all of Reformed literature And in all of our Reformed confessions, where this doctrine is set forth so clearly, so beautifully, such a summary of what the Bible is saying about salvation, then in Lord's Day 23 of the Heidelberg Catechism. This Lord's Day, like the whole catechism, is so incredibly preachable. And we, having heard the catechism for many years, 
can sadly take that for granted. Of all of the Reformed confessions of the 16th century, the 17th century, only one has been written as a preaching tool, and that is the Heidelberg Catechism. And what the Catechism does is it takes all that the Bible says about each doctrine and it summarizes it with every phrase supported by the Bible so that every phrase, every word is thoroughly biblical and it presents it to us as a whole doctrine. And some of those Lord's days are just... Well, such incredible summaries that when you read it and you compare it with Scripture, you just have to say, it's unbelievable the riches that the Lord has given us in this catechism. A Lord's Day 23 is one of those Lord's Days. It just begs, (laughs) begs to be preached in all its fullness and beauty and glory. And tonight, we want to attempt to stammer a little bit about this glorious doctrine. If you understand this doctrine, you understand the gospel. If you don't understand this doctrine, you don't understand the gospel. Now, we need to understand it, of course, but we also need to experience it. And tonight, especially question 60, is one of the most experiential answers in all the catechism of how you receive in your soul the experience of the doctrines of grace, particularly this foundational doctrine of which John Calvin said, All of true religion hinges on this doctrine. So, I want to use as a couple of the background texts, Romans 3, 28 and Romans 5, verse 6. But there's no way that the riches and the glory of this Catechism Lord's Day can be contained in just a few texts. But these will be background texts. Romans 3.28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And Romans 5 or 6, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For the ungodly. Well, let's look at these three questions. Lord's Day 23, 59 through 61. But what does it profit thee now that thou believest all this? The all this refers back to Lord's Day 7 through 22, um, which we talks about what faith is in Lord's Day 7, you remember? And then 8 through 22 <coughs> is an exposition of the Apostles' Creed, which we just recited together tonight. The basic doctrines of the Christian faith. So, what does it profit thee, now that thou believest all this, all this contained in the Apostles' Creed? Answer, that I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir of eternal life. How art thou righteous before God? Only by a true faith in Jesus Christ. Now notice how this is spelled out. And this is incredibly beautiful. So that though my conscience accuse me, and I'm going to emphasize the words that are 100% here, that I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God and kept none of them, and am still inclined to all evil, notwithstanding God, without any merit of mine, 
but only of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, even so as if I never had had or committed any sin, yea, as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me inasmuch as I embrace such benefit with a believing heart. Why sayest thou that thou art just right that thou art righteous by faith only? Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith, but because only only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God. And that I cannot receive and apply the same, that is the righteousness of Christ, to myself any other way than by faith only. That is the heart of the biblical doctrine of justification by faith. Put in a few words, I believe better than anywhere in all of church history. This is what we believe. This is the gospel. This is salvation. So we want to look with you at the theme of justification for the ungodly by faith alone. <coughs> First, why justification is so important to us? Second, how ungodly sinners like us are justified? And third, how justification benefits us? And for that, we'll, we'll look at some things in Romans 5. <clears throat> why is justification so important to you, to me, or should be, to all of us. Well, because the gospel is about getting saved and staying saved, that the gospel is the one thing needful. If you don't know the gospel, if you don't understand it, you don't experience it, you're on your way to hell, to total destruction. That's what the Bible says. There's only one name given un- among men under heaven, whereby we must, not maybe, or one day I hope it may be so, or may it yet be so, we must be saved. One name. One way. Justification by faith alone in the blood of Jesus Christ. So justification is the foundational doctrine of the Bible. Martin Luther said, upon the article of justification by faith alone, The church stands or falls. The great Dutch theologian Hermann Witsius said this, Justification concerns nearly the whole of all Christianity. It spreads itself throughout the whole body of divinity so that if the foundation is laid well here, the whole building of truth will be the more solid and grand. So what is justification? It's a big word, boys and girls. It's a big word. And it's just amazing. It's amazing how people can hear sermons on justification over and over and over again and still not get a good grasp of it. So tonight I want to make it as simple as possible. 
So just put it in your mind, these two things. Forgiveness and a right to eternal life. Forgiveness of sin and a right to eternal life. So justification is exactly the opposite of sanctification. Exactly the opposite. I'm sorry, condemnation, sorry. Justification is the opposite of condemnation. So what do I mean by that? Well, condemnation means that I am guilty and have earned a right to eternal death. And that's true of every single person sitting or standing here tonight. By nature, we are all guilty. We have all sinned. This is what Paul is laboring to do in the first three chapters of Romans. To convince us, Jew, Gentile, no matter who we are, we are all condemnable before God. We're in a state, a state of condemnation. Because we've sinned. God is holy. God cannot let any sin enter into heaven. So, justification, however, means just the opposite. It means that I am guilt-free, and I have a right to eternal life. And you see, that, that is the result of believing the Apostles' Creed, the main doctrines of the Christian faith, believing them in our mind, believing them in our soul. That's what question 59 says. But what does it profit thee now that thou believest all this? Answer, that I am righteous in Christ before God. In other words, my sins are forgiven. And an heir of eternal life. I have a right to eternal life. This is a definition, really, of justification. <coughs> what does it profit thee? Now that thou believest all this, you could answer that with just one word. I am justified. Justified before God. By faith. Now justification is therefore, and listen to me carefully here, what we call a forensic term. That means it's a term that's used in court of law. If you come before a judge, boys and girls, and you're being judged on something, you're either acquitted, that means you're freed, or you're condemned, one or the other. On the judgment day, we will all come before Jesus and every one of us will either be acquitted, will be freed, and will enter into heaven, or will be condemned by our own sin and enter into hell. And so what justification means is that God as judge declares a sinner, hopefully that's you and me, to be acquitted of all our sins, freed of all our sins, have them all washed away, have them all covered, have them all cast behind his back into the sea of eternal forgetfulness. God, as judge, declares a sinner to be acquitted on the grounds of Christ's work because Christ has satisfied his justice in the place of the sinner so that God... For Jesus' sake, and only for Jesus' sake, can now forgive all my sins and receive me into life eternal. Let me repeat that. This is critical. This is the gospel. Justification means that God as judge declares a sinner to be acquitted on the grounds of Christ's work having satisfied his justice. So God can now righteously forgive all that sinner's sins and receive him into life 
eternal. But that raises another question. How can God do that, really? God is so holy. God cannot commune with any sin. God is not like a benign grandfather who says, well, uh, I'm so loving and kind, I'll just, I'll just forgive you. No. This doctrine of justification has to be a doctrine in which God is just in satisfying His justice. Who can satisfy His justice and receive a sinner into glory when God is infinitely holy? You can't be infinitely holy. Neither can I. So, if God is going to provide us with a Savior to save us from our sins, that Savior must be God because only God is infinite. And only an infinite God can satisfy an infinite God. A finite God cannot satisfy an infinite God, ever. But that God must also become man and pay for our sins in his own human nature. And so Christianity is the only religion in the entire world of the thousands and thousands of religions in human history that presents a Savior who's both God and man, who's totally qualified because he's sinless man, fully obeyed the law at every point of his life. Every point of his life. So that God, through Jesus, through Jesus, through his passive obedience of suffering for sin, pain for sin through his own sufferings and death, and obeying the law perfectly, God can take that obedience of Jesus, his active obedience to the law, his passive obedience, pain for sin, that double obedience, and impute that to a sinner. So that double obedience becomes mine when I, by the faith of the faith that the Holy Spirit works in me, when I trust in Christ totally, alone for salvation. Solus Christus, Christ alone, in that double obedience, then at that time, you see, that, that double obedience is imputed to me, and all my sins are imputed to Christ, and he who knew no sin became sin, that he may be made the righteousness of God for me. And I'm saved, and my sins are washed away. Now that is what Christianity is all about. And when that happens, you see, that's not something you do yourself. It's not a do-it-yourself religion that you somehow make yourself holy and then you're holy enough or you have enough of this or enough of that, enough prayer, enough Bible reading, that God then says, well, I'll do the rest for you. That's Roman Catholicism. Roman Catholicism says you must sanctify yourself the best you can. The best you can. And then God will do the rest. The Reformed faith says you can do nothing but sin. God must do everything. But the good news is that God does everything. And so you can have assurance of faith because you have a salvation that is totally worked by God. And not dependent on you. See, that's what Martin Luther struggled with in his soul. Had he fasted enough? Had he prayed enough? Had he done this enough? He, he could never get to a point where he could find peace with God. Because in the Roman Catholic system of their doctrine, you see, God makes a sinner justified when the sinner does his part and God does the rest. But in Reformed doctrine, God declares the sinner 
to be totally righteous on the total grounds of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. So, in the reform system, justification comes before sanctification. Roman Catholic system, sanctification is before justification. Because you've got to make yourself somewhat holy. Do the best you can, and God will do the rest. So let me make it very plain through an illustration given by the premier Roman Catholic theologian, Thomas Aquinas, medieval theologian. And Aquinas said this. He said, salvation is like a two-story house. Boys and girls, maybe you live in a two-story house. Maybe, maybe your bedroom's upstairs. Maybe you go upstairs every night to go to bed. Well, Aquinas said, the first floor is like what man is by nature. He called the first floor nature. The second floor of your home is what man is by grace. In other words, you're born in the first floor. You need to be saved. How do you get to the second floor? Well, you go up the stairs, Aquinas said. But Aquinas said, you can't go up the stairs all the way because God is holy and you're a sinner. So what you do is you go up the stairs as best you can, as far as you can. And then God will reach down and he'll meet you. It's really a nice system, isn't it, for human nature. If I can just make it up, maybe two steps. Don't worry. God will come down. That's the best you can do. And he'll reach you at the second step and he'll pull you up the rest of the way. So salvation is always by your works combined with God's grace. Your works bring you up as far as you can. Grace does the rest. Very convenient. Only very unbiblical. As Paul said, no, we're all sinners. Romans 3, we can do no good. There's no good thing in our flesh. So the reform system is, God has to do it all. You can't even make it up step one. Because your heart is depraved. You're a sinner. God doesn't have to reach down and pull you up part way. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, based on Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Nothing a man mixed in. And that's the salvation that you can then be assured of. Because God does it all. So that's what question 60 is talking about. It's really explaining how, how you can be saved by justification through faith alone. Now, (coughs) excuse me, before we go there, let me just quickly say, once you understand this, what I've just said, about what justification is. Forgiveness of all your sins. That's all put away through satisfaction of Christ. And then you have a right to eternal life because Christ fully obeyed the law. So through him, you have a right to heaven. Once you understand those two facets of justification and that they're both 100% dependent on Christ, then you will understand That justification by faith alone does so many things for us. It's the greatest antidote to all heresy. Salvation by faith alone preserves this sola character, this only character. Only grace, only faith, only God, only Christ, only scripture. So that salvation stays completely under the domain of God's grace. Second, justification, once you understand it, you see, 
it will impact all kinds of pastoral problems that arise in a congregation, like lack of assurance of faith, inability to handle trials Christianly, to mention just two of them. When people don't have any assurance, inevitably, inevitably, they're trying to do part of salvation themselves. <laughs> Every time. And you say to them over and over and over again, no, it is entirely of Jesus Christ. And they look back at you and they say, yeah, but if I could only pray more. You see, if I could only do this more. If I could only do that more. Exactly. That's exactly Martin Luther's problem. That's exactly the Roman Catholic problem. That's exactly why the Roman Catholic teaches that you can't have assurance in this life. You just hope for the best. Maybe a few old priests get it at the end of their lives. It's very rare. Why? Because it's based partly on man. And then, third, justification is a great incentive to a revived church. You can have a church that's full of joy in the gospel, full of excitement about the things of God, full of a revival spirit without a rediscovery of the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Which leads me to my fourth, which is that you don't need anything more than justification because sanctification will flow out of justification. You never get to a point where you say, in the Christian life, I need something bigger and better than justification. You can't get anything bigger and better and more comprehensive than justification because if you're saved in Christ, you're saved totally in Christ. You have the kind of assurance you need and out of that justification, you live your entire life. Your entire life. Every person, every true Christian that struggles with the lack of assurance, also doesn't fully understand and grasp this glorious doctrine that justification does all for me through the obedience of Jesus Christ. All right, let's read then. How ungodly sinners like us are justified. How do you experience that? Look at question 60. I'm righteous before God. I'm justified only by a true faith in Jesus Christ. So that though my conscience accuse me that I have, look, look at this now, grossly transgressed all the commandments of God. It kept none of them and I'm still inclined to all evil. That's how a believer can feel. When you look just inside and you don't look outside of yourself to Christ. Or when you take ten looks inside yourself and only one to Christ. Instead of doing what the Reformers and Puritans always said, you know, their famous statement. You must look inside yourself, but for every look you take inside yourself, make sure you take ten to Christ. Some of you, some of you are doing the opposite. You're taking ten looks to yourself and then maybe one to Christ. Or maybe zero to Christ. And then you wonder why you have no assurance. Why you have no joy. Why you have no peace. Why, why you struggle with every Lord's Supper. Should I go or should I not? Well, because you're not looking to Christ. That's why. He is your justification. You are zero part of it. It's totally Him. So... What is he describing here? He's describing what Paul experienced. I find in my, in my flesh no good thing. I find that when I would do evil, when I, when I would do good, I, I do evil. When I wouldn't do evil, I, I, I do evil. Uh, all the, oh, wretched man that I am, who should deliver me from this body of death? But Paul has an answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, Here's how he goes on to explain how he thanks God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notwithstanding. Notice that word notwithstanding. It's so key. I've grossly transgressed all the commandments of God, kept none of them, still inclined to all evil. Notwithstanding God. 
notwithstanding God, over against all my sin, God, without any merit of mine. Zero. Zero. But only of mere grace grants and imputes to me. He, he reckons it to my account. The perfect, the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. That's all I need. What's the result? Even so, as if I never had had nor committed any sin. Yea, as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me. All what obedience? That double obedience. Paying for sin. And earning a right to eternal life. Through perfect obedience to the law. Loving God above all. Loving my neighbors myself. My entire life without ever sinning once. Having no original sin. No actual sin. But no one has that, you see. But if you have Christ... It's as if you have never, 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 never sinned. That's amazing. So, a wonderful biblical example of that, and I've preached on that before to you, is David looking down at Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth expects to die. He's got the blood of Saul running through him. And in those days, if you were from another bloodline (coughs) and there was a new king on the throne, you would, uh, you'd immediately lose your life. Mephibosheth is going to die and he knows it. But David looks down and says, Mephibosheth, I've made a covenant with Jonathan. So when I look at you, I don't see you, I see Jonathan. And for Jonathan's sake, I'm going to show you kindness. I'm going to treat you like a son. I'm going to bring you into my family. You can eat at my table. I'm going to adopt you. I love you for Jonathan's sake. And Mephibosheth is just overwhelmed with astonishment, isn't he? And he says, why would you look upon me? I'm just like a dead dog. That's how a sinner feels when he gets saved. Be it more suddenly, be it more gradually, you feel like you're in God's courtroom in a way, don't you? And you feel like your conscience condemns you, and the law condemns you, and Satan condemns you, and everything condemns you. You're just a big, fat sinner. But God looks down and says, for Jesus' sake, for Jesus' sake, I'm going to have mercy on you. And you see it, and you understand it, and you believe it, and you cast all your hope on the righteousness, the satisfaction, and the obedience of Jesus Christ. And when, by the grace of God, you cast all your hope upon Christ, you are not only saved, but you will have a peace of conscience. The sins will roll away off your back into the empty sepulcher of Christ. And you will say, the Lord is risen indeed. He's my Lord. He's my salvation. He's my treasure. He's my all in all. He is my justification before God. He is everything to me. So in salvation, what the Holy Spirit does is He comes and He empties me of all my own righteousness So that I fall upon the righteousness of Christ alone. I realize there's nothing I can do to save myself. I fall on the righteousness of Christ alone. I say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I say, if I perish, I perish. But I'll perish at thy feet. And I surrender. Surrender is a key word of faith. I surrender my total being, my total salvation to the perfect salvation of God, merited and implemented and applied in and by and through Jesus Christ. No other way to be saved. Justification by faith alone. 
through Christ alone, through his passive obedience and his active obedience, which is reckoned unto me. Now, how does that benefit me? How does that benefit me? So, everything our instructor has said so far is a confirmation of what's called the Pauline, that is from Paul, doctrine of justification by faith alone, set out so beautifully in Romans 3 through 5. Look at verse 28, Romans 3, 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. You'll never climb your way into heaven by accomplishing something yourself, not by any deed of the law. You've got a bad heart. You've got a bad record. And you cannot get into heaven by the deeds of the law. You cannot climb up the first step. Zero. Zero, zero, zero. Actually, negative, negative, negative is your life before God apart from Jesus. So the only way you can be justified is as an ungodly person. As an ungodly person. See, this is what Roman Catholicism never quite gets. Romans 5, verse 6. While when we were yet without strength, when we couldn't produce nothing acceptable to God, in due time, Christ died for who? For the ungodly. For the ungodly. Oh, I've been trying to make myself godly. I I thought if I just did more of this and more of that. No, 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 no. That's unbiblical religion. That's the religion of, of, of all the false religions of the world. Basically, they say, man must do something and God must do something. Only true biblical Christianity says that Christ does it all. Now, do you believe that? Do you surrender to that? Do you rest your hope in that? Do you believe in faith alone saves? Now, that raises the question of what exactly is the role of faith in this justification? We say justified by faith alone. Well, look back again at question 60, the last part. Inasmuch... All these things will accrue to me inasmuch as I embrace such benefit with a believing heart. So that means we're not justified by the works of the law, but we are justified by the way of faith. Faith is not a work. Faith is a gift. But that leads us then to question 61. Why sayest thou that thou art righteous by faith only? So what is the role of faith in justification? Notice the answer. Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith. So you could get in the same game with yourself. Yes, but I don't have enough faith. Or my faith isn't worthy enough. Or you, you focus on your faith. You see, we don't have faith in our faith. We have faith in the one object of true faith. And the one object is Jesus Christ. So, not that I'm acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith, but because, and here it comes, this is very important, only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God. And I cannot receive and apply that righteousness in Christ to myself, by any other way than by faith only. So boys and girls, let's say you've just come through a desert and you are so thirsty. And you've got, there's water in a container, but there's a cap on the container that you can't get off. It's locked, but you have a straw. And you put the straw into, say there's a little hole, you put the straw in that hole, and you can drink the water. 
Now, when you drink the water, what do you say? Say, oh, thank God. Thank God. This is such a wonderful straw. No, no. You say, I thank God for the water. The water. It's by the water that I live. This is wonderful. This water. Now, Jesus Christ, you see, is received by faith. Faith is a straw. It's the hand by which you receive it. There's nothing meritorious to your faith. It's all in Christ. You see, so we're not justified simply because, well, we've had an act of faith, but we're justified by faith in Christ. It's always in Christ. We're not saved for believing, but we're saved by believing. So, faith is not a builder of my salvation, but faith is a beholder of the salvation that is in Christ. So, faith has nothing to give to the process of justification, nothing to achieve, but it has everything to receive. It just receives. That's why faith is such a fitting grace to receive the benefits of Jesus. Because faith has no merit in itself. Faith is an empty-handed sinner receiving the full-handed salvation God gives to us. One of our forefathers put it this way. As little as a beggar who puts forth his hand to receive a piece of bread can say that he has earned the gift of bread granted to him, so little can believers claim they have merited justification because they have embraced by faith the righteousness of Christ righteously offered them in the gospel. Sometimes when we travel, especially in foreign countries, You can be walking the streets of a big city and little children come up around you and they're begging and their hands come out and they look skinny and their eyes, oh, you just have so much pity when you look into their eyes and you you don't know what they're going to do with the money you give them, but you just can't help. You, you, You just reach in your pocket and you give them something. You can't help it. They look so needy. They look so needy. Imagine now if one of those children would say, when you give them something, oh, I earned that. Yes, that's, that's my, to my credit that I received that. Oh, no. Those little children know. When they receive that money, they, they look at you so thankfully. So thankfully. They know that it's because of you they have that money. Well, it's the same way with a poor sinner. When you come, you see, faith is not a creative hand. You don't create your own salvation. It's a receptive hand. And God just gives you His Son. When you, by grace, may believe in Him alone for salvation. Why would you stay away? Why wouldn't you stick out the beggar's hand? to Jesus and say, Lord, I need thee. You know, like Peter and Andrew in John 1. That's just such a wonderful story, isn't it? Where they hear from John the Baptist, this is the Messiah, Jesus. Salvation is all in him. Behold the Lamb of God. What happens? They begin to follow Jesus. They need salvation. And Jesus turns. And what, you remember what he says, boys and girls? He says, what are you seeking? What? Tell me. What do you want? And what do they say? Master, where dwellest thou? I just love that, don't you? Jesus says, tell me what? And they say, not a what. 
We want a person. We want a Savior who can save us completely. Where dwellest thou? And they came and abode with him. And it was the 10th hour. 60-some years later, John knows the exact hour. We don't always know the exact hour. But we do know if we're saved. We do know what it means to be emptied and to need Jesus and to receive him by faith, at least to some degree. Some maybe more than others. But the point is, you're not saved if you have a big degree. And if you have a smaller degree, you're not saved. No, no. The smallest degree of faith, the weak hand that stretches out, says, I must have Jesus. Give me Jesus, else I die. That is already faith, trusting in him for his salvation. You cannot live without Jesus. Inasmuch as I receive him, by faith only. So I don't look at my faith and say, well, that, that faith somehow contributed to my salvation. I don't look at the straw and say the straw satisfied me. It's the water. Jesus is the water of life. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is my salvation. Jesus is everything. And you see, when the Holy Spirit works that in you, you come to know Jesus by faith and trust in him alone. And then you, the scales fall from your eyes and you see that all your efforts to build the righteousness before God are not only vain, but worse than that. They're all sinful because God just simply wants you to trust in him alone. And then you cry out, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Well, that brings then, when you are by faith in Christ, it brings you all kinds of benefits. Let me just give you seven or eight of them as we close. First of all, the doing and dying of Jesus, the doing and dying of Jesus is the only criteria for our acceptance with God. Let's move to Romans 5 now, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, being justified by faith. There is no other way to peace with God through the Lord Jesus than through receiving Him by faith. By faith. All other ground is sinking sand. Jesus' blood and righteousness is and always shall be enough. Do you hear that? Enough. Your enough will never be enough. His enough is always enough. Trust Him. His enough is more than enough. There is bread enough and to spare in Jesus, the Bible says. So nothing in my hands I bring. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. That's benefit number one, the great benefit. Peace with God. And if you know something of that peace, even a small amount of it, it is so precious. You will want more. But you're in a state of peace now. The more you know of it, Wonderful. But don't deny that you know that peace when your life is in Christ. Number two, justification establishes our identity. Romans 6, 11. We now reckon ourselves dead unto sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ. Christ is our life. So now we want to live to him. He, he's our identity. Our comfort in life and death is we don't belong to ourselves but belong to him. Number three, go to verse two now. Justification means we have access, by faith of course, into this grace wherein we stand. Access. To what? To God. To the Father. Therefore we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So God brings us to himself through Jesus, through Jesus. 
And he does that gladly. The father is as willing to give us his son as the son is willing to give himself, as the spirit is willing to work in us the things of Christ. All three persons rejoice in bringing sinners to Jesus. Now the word access here is a rare Greek word. In classical Greek, it means entrance to the king through the favor of another. It contains the idea of somebody taking you by the hand into the palace, through the rooms, into the presence of the king, taking you to the throne of the king. It's the idea of Ephesians 2.18. For through him, Christ, we have access by one spirit, the Holy Spirit working in you, unto the Father. Or Ephesians 3.12, in whom, Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him to the Father. So, (coughs) we are able to stand before God the Father with confidence, with boldness, through His Son, who does everything for us, because He is our total salvation. And because when the Father looks upon us, He sees His Son, just like David saw Jonathan and could then have mercy upon Mephibosheth. Benefit number four. Justification helps us assess our trials properly. Properly. So often when we get tried and afflicted, we say, well, what does God have against us? But if we're believers, we ought to respond with Hebrews 12 and say, I'm justified in God by Christ, and therefore my Father's just chastening me to mature me, to sanctify me more, to make me more and more a partaker of His righteousness and His holiness. And all these things shall work together for good. That's Romans 5 verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. We glory in tribulations? What is Paul talking about? I hate tribulations. Don't you? Of course we do by nature. But Paul says we triumph, not in spite of them, but we triumph in those afflictions because we belong to Christ. And so our tribulations are a cause of rejoicing because what do they do? Look at verses 4 and 5. They work patience. This is in Christ. Patience works experience in Christ. Experience works hope in Christ. And hope in Christ makes not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. When have you grown the most in your faith in Christ? Probably in life's greatest tribulations. It's a benefit of God applying justification so that it works itself out in sanctification in your life. Sanctification always follows justification. In fact, sanctification gives evidence of your justification. And a lot of that is worked out by God through trials. Benefit number five. By faith alone, by faith alone is our shield whereby we quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So every time Satan comes to you and tempts you and tries you, you just say, wait a minute. Like Martin Luther, Satan, you're at the wrong address. I am in Christ. Christ is my head. Christ is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. If you want to get me, Satan, you've got to go to my head. And you can't get him. He's victorious. He's God. You're just a fallen angel. So when you're justified, you see, you've got a captain over you. You've got a head who's almighty, who can defeat Satan at any moment. So he, the righteousness of Christ, he himself is your shield by which you quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And six, if you taste the sweetness of falling upon Christ alone as your righteousness. You see, the door to the Lord's Supper is wide open for you. 
You don't then need any extra experience to come to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is for me and all believers, as Lord's Day 28 says it, who have a sense of your misery, of your sinfulness apart from Christ, and your only hope is in Christ alone for salvation. Then you are commanded to come so you don't put yourself in darkness. Do you understand that? You don't need something more than a sense of justification in Jesus. You don't say, but I am too unworthy, or I don't love God enough, or I don't trust Him enough, or I don't obey Him enough. No. God loved you when you didn't love Him at all, when you didn't trust Him at all, when you didn't obey Him at all. He still loved you in Christ. And when you fall upon Him alone for your salvation, He will never cast you away. I will in no wise cast out the coming sinner. He justifies the ungodly. And number seven, by faith alone, justification by faith alone, is the cutting edge of your evangelistic message to others. It's the good news of the gospel. If people have to get to heaven by their own efforts, that's bad news. That will never work. But if salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone, that's good news. That's what the prisoners need to hear in jails and prisons throughout this country. It's what the self-righteous and the proud need to hear all throughout this land. It's what your neighbor needs to hear. This is... Thursday 23 would be a wonderful evangelistic tool to take to people. To explain to them what the gospel is all about. And number eight, last one. Resting and justification by faith alone is the only way to die peacefully. It's the only way. Look at verse 2b. Paul says, Romans 5, 2b, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I love the deathbed of John Brown of Haddington. Everyone's around him. He can't respond. He's overwhelmed. He's dying. And suddenly, just before he dies, he throws open his arms and he says, My Christ. My Christ. His head falls back on the pillow, and he dies. And I love the deathbed of, of Professor David Dixon, a great Puritan, who wrote a wonderful commentary in the Psalms. Just as he was dying, a friend asked him and says, Are, are, you, ready? are you ready to die? And he says, Yes, absolutely. And he says, well, Do you have anything you want to say? He said, yes, I've taken all my bad deeds and I put them on a heap, on a pile. And I've taken all my good deeds as well. And I've thrown them all on the same pile. And I've run away from that heap into the arms of Jesus so I can die with peace. That's it. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. By Him, to Him, through Him, for Him. Be all the glory. What does it profit you that you believe all this? Can you say that I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir to eternal life? Oh, then thank God. Thank God for this glorious doctrine justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Amen. Gracious God, we are just never, never, never tired of proclaiming this glorious doctrine. We want to live preaching it. We want to die preaching it. We want to live in it. We want to live out of it. We want to live by it. This doctrine is sufficient for time, for eternity.
It's everything to us. Help us to love it. Help us to live it. Help us to drink it in. Help us to live it out. Help us to go out to our neighbors and let it be our cutting edge of our evangelistic message to others. There's a Savior who has died for the ungodly. There's room for you. If there's room for me, there's room for you. If he can save me, he can save anyone. Oh God, help us to understand that the salvation is all about Jesus and not about us. That we have enough of nothing. But thank God, Lord, we thank Thee that Jesus has enough of everything. Everything we need is in Him. And so help us to fly to Him, to surrender to Him, to live unto Him by true saving faith. And we thank the Holy Spirit for working that faith so freely, so generously, so richly in our hearts for taking the things of Christ and revealing them to us. Go with us into this week. Help us to live holy and solely to this glorious, beautiful, altogether lovely chief of 10,000 saviors, the only savior. Help us to live in and through the strong name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.